Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, July 14th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are at page 92, paragraph number 2, which begins, Continue to Speak. And today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Sharon B., the 12 Traditions, Alice, and the text is going, it's in this order, is, is Rick B., Susie K., and Lauren S. The reference number for yesterday, which is Sunday, July the 13th, 2014, our special edition, is 664. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose is OA's fifth tradition states, quote, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sharon B. to kindly read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
we try to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. And thank you, Sharon B. I will now ask Alice to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you. This is Alice, a compulsive overeater and bulimic from Florida. The 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is the one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. And thank you, Alice. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 7. We are at page 92, paragraph 2, which begins, Continue to Speak. Um, okay, I will ask, please, Rick B. to start reading, to begin the reading. Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick, a recovered compulsive overeater. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. 
explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are right, rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Tell him, let him ask you that question, if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it empathetic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself that he lived by spiritual principles. We have kind of a transition paragraph here from telling uh, a newcomer or as they refer to it, a protege about the hopelessness and the helplessness and the seriousness of this illness. Up until now, we're simply engaging in conversation, uh, trying to get him to identify, telling him stories about our own troubles, and getting him to talk about it himself. But at some point, uh, that person is going to want to know how you solved your problem. And they may have been asking those questions right along, but they encourage us to, to not go right to it, not go right into the solution. But after you've gotten him to identify, after you've told some stories, when he asks the questions or she asks the question, how you got well, the book tells us to say exactly what happened. At this point, we tell them about a spiritual transformation that occurred. And we don't beat around the bush. We tell him that it was a, a change in, in mind that was accompanied by a belief in a power greater than us. And this is something that we don't go right into. And we're not talking about the person that's in the rooms, that has been around forever, that, that knows what the deal is. This is somebody that's totally new to 12-step recovery. After they identify with us and they're looking to know what happens, then we don't, we don't shrink from telling them what the solution was because at this point they're ready. They're ready to hear about uh, they're ready to hear about God. They're ready to hear about a change in our mind that was brought about by that belief. And we have to be strong when we tell them about this now. At this point, we don't get wishy-washy. We don't say maybe. We don't say sort of. You can believe in God if you want. We tell them exactly what it's about so that we're a matter of fact. So after we get them to realize the hopelessness, now we can tell them what the solution is. And we also 
we're, we're also a little bit open. If he's agnostic or atheist, which you may have found out by now after talking to him for a while, you don't push any conception of God on him. You don't push religion on him. You don't push any belief. You just have to let them know that in order to solve their problem as we did, that they need to believe in some kind of power greater than themselves. And you'll be able to get into that more and more. But at this point, you're laying the solution right on the table for them. So I'll pass with that. Okay, thank you, Rick. Would anyone else now like to comment on what was read? This is Penny C. Okay, Penny, please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, Janice, and thank you, everybody on the line. Uh, yeah, this um, this paragraph, so much of it is squiggly lined, meaning how very important so many of these words are. And I want to focus on that last sentence. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself. It doesn't say, and this was pointed out very nicely just yesterday in the special edition, that nowhere in the book does it say he must believe or I must believe. It says I must be willing to believe. That's all. Just just willing to believe that there is a power higher than myself and in in that uh you know that I will be willing to live by spiritual principles. So so that's a that's a very important concept. And if if the person states directly that, well, I'm sorry, I'm I'm atheist or I'm agnostic, and I don't think you're going to get anywhere with me. I heard a teacher of the big book say very, very nicely that his sponsor, when he said to him, I'm atheist, I don't think, you know, I don't know how I'm going to work this program. And his sponsor said, what do you believe in? What are you willing to believe in? And he said, well, I'm willing to believe in beauty and truth. And his sponsor wisely said, then that'll be a higher power. So so it is pretty simple that someone's concept of that power that he or she is willing to believe in can be whatever, whatever the protege wants it to be. And and it's just remarkable how how great things happen after that person can say, yes, I am willing. Yes, I do want to live by spiritual principles, and is willing to accept the help. This is a this is a this is a really simple program, and the directions as as I like to tell people, all the years that I've been studying this book. And every single day and every single time I read this book or discuss it with someone else, the directions become more clear and more simple. There's nothing complicated about the directions. Nowhere, nowhere is there anything complicated that we, we, can't, we can't live by. We just have to be willing to live by spiritual principles and um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Kim? Sarah. I hear Sarah and who? Kim. 
Okay, good. Sarah first and then Kim. Uh, good morning, Vision, for you. Uh, good morning, Janice. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, when I look at the it's – a, it's a huge sentence, and it, I mean, huge paragraph, and it has a lot to it. Um, the first part of the paragraph really begins to talk about, um, you know, the, the mental obsession and the, and the physical allergy. And that's what we're, you know, we're talking about in that first sentence. Um, speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. And then it, we're talking about our own personal experience. We're really offering our pain and explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicaments. Um, on the, on the side column, and I'm sure I heard it from somebody, it says consequences and pain wasn't enough. And I know for me, um, you know, I had to get, as, as so many call it, and I had never heard it, I think, until probably this last year about uh, the gift of desperation. Um, you know, really, I, I think most of us really have to come in um, really mangled up and, and, and miserable and unhappy um, and, and seeing how futile all our efforts have been in trying to bring us to sanity. Um, and, you know, it does talk a lot about physicians. And, um, you know, I've talked to many people who have gone, uh, thought about uh, going in to have um, surgery uh, for their problem. Um, uh, you know, many physicians, unfortunately, uh, don't understand uh, the malady of our illness, um, and um, hopefully that is getting better. I think it is, but I think it's, we, we have a long way to go. Uh, unlike AA, I think AA is much more um, steeped in, in the medical community, and there is more understanding. And then on the, on the top of 93 where it talks about, talks about let him ask you that question if he will, um, you know, basically asking what, what happened to us, what, what's changed for us. And, you know, I met somebody in, in a store yesterday. I live in a very small town of 5,000. And you can imagine what the store is. There's only one. <laughs> but anyway, I was in the store, and, and I saw this woman that I had met many years ago in one of the, the diet clubs that I had gone to that had been very thin, and she was like the registration person, and she had her weight still pretty down, and she hadn't seen me in a long time, and she was acknowledging how, how well I looked. And, you know, I had to really be careful uh, the way I went about things because she doesn't have any knowledge of, and she, when I said to her she looked good, she said, well, you know, she kind of brushed it off because obviously she had put on a little bit of weight, and, um, and I wasn't just saying she looked good. I thought she did look very good. But anyway, um, she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, um, I, I have a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I really have um, problems with food that can't be helped with, uh, with diet clubs. And I said, um, and so I'm a member of uh, Ovaries Anonymous, a 12-step program like AA, and I said, and it's changed my life. And I left it at that. And she just kind of looked at me. And I thought, oh, God, I hope I said the right words. You know, I hope that, you know, because you just never know. You never know. 
And as Penny was saying, and I so agree, you know, anything that's italicized or that has, um, it means to look at it. And, you know, for me, I've said it before, you know, the second step is my very favorite step. So basically the first two steps are being spoken about in this, in this book. And, you know, for me, I have to come to. Come to is like wake up and remember or, and realize, not remember, realize that God you know, my higher power can restore me to sanity. And with that second step, that's what I have the opportunity to truly believe and take into my heart and make it real. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Um, Kim, please. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim J, and I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I have to say, when I really read these directions for working with others, I realized how off base I was. You know, how off base I was when I would talk to newcomers, and specifically, you know, Rick had mentioned it, but I got to kind of disagree. This really was about how I approach people who've been back over and over and over, because there's so many prejudices. So I need to break down those prejudices. So what are some of them? I remember going into a sponsorship workshop in my area about six months ago, and the first thing I heard when someone walked in was somebody saying, don't worry, honey, we'll love you till you love yourself. You know, and that's what I heard. I remember saying, don't worry about these steps. Just get comfortable. You know, go to six meetings. Don't worry about it. Just keep eating. It's all right. You know, Keep coming back. It'll work if, it works if you work it. But no one ever told me what it was. Or they hit me with amends and inventory and all this stuff, and I'm coming in scared, desperate, going, I just need to lose weight. But what are the instructions here? The instructions here are they're telling me that I need to talk about the illness, body and mind, body and mind, body and mind. What was I told when I came in? Well, watch out for when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Figure out what your triggers are and avoid them. People, places, and things. I remember taking this book out called The Gentle Path Through the Twelve Steps. Let's look how gentle this paragraph is. It's telling us, talk about it as a fatal malady. Let them know they're doomed. Doctors loathe to tell the alcoholic the whole story. Talk about the hopelessness of alcoholism. I mean, this is pretty strong language. Until I understood to the depths of my soul how screwed I was, how hopeless I was, I wasn't going through with these 12 steps. So we have been taught here. You talk about the problem. Hit them with the medical stuff, as Dr. Silkworth said. I've got this allergy to the body that's never, ever going to change. I am so screwed. I have a permanent disability. And I have this obsession of the mind that's not going to leave me alone. It's going to dominate my thoughts. It's going to tell me over and over and over again until I answer it that the only place I'm going to find using comfort is in that food. That doesn't sound gentle. That doesn't sound like just loving me till I love myself is going to work. That doesn't sound like just going to meetings is going to change that. So that's what I'm doing. My job, which we're going to learn on page um, 94, is to disturb them. If we're not disturbed, we're not going to be willing to do this work. I love the saying, it says, honesty without compassion is cruel. But compassion without honesty can kill. And unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of us do in a way. A lot of us in meetings, too. We show all this compassion and because we're not being honest about it, it's a fatal malady. We are doomed. 
There's loathing. There's hopelessness. We watch each other eat ourselves to death. And then on the top of 93, it's only after someone says, wait a minute, you're telling me I'm doomed. You're telling me this hopeless nature. You're telling me I have this permanent disability. But that's not how you're living. That person gets curious, what did you do? And it's only when someone asks me, what did I do, do I talk about the solution and the plan of action. Because up to that point, until someone knows they have our problem, why would they care about the answer? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Hello. Okay, Paula. This is Rachel yeah. from Israel. Okay, we'll have Paula and we'll have Raquel. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This is Paula, recovered compulsive reader. You know, over here, I'm going to bring forth when we first said to be helpful is our only aim, so I'm going to come along here. And a protege is a someone that is under the care of another. So we see again the word helpful. I'm going to focus on a couple of lines because it says here very clearly, this is the word it used. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience because he's going to want to wander a bit. I know what it is to have that drug-warped mind. Your mind goes one place and another, so you've got to keep his attention focused. How do you do that? And then it tells you, explain that mainly that many are doomed who never realize the predicament. They don't know. They don't know. And yet they're living it. I didn't know. I was sleeping while I was awake. Now, I want to go on to, again, another line. And we're going to go to the top of 93, and quite a line it is. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted bringing forth his condition, okay, entirely admitted, so he, he knows he's with you. He's got a problem just not liking your company, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Use it. Use it. It's there for a reason. Use that curiosity, how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. He may not. He may just sit there and listen. Either one is very good. Tell him again. It brings it back to you. Tell him exactly what happened to you. We see here the big transition from always we, we, we in the first chapters, and now we're going to you. Now, this is tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. And then it goes on. Do you not? I love step by step, line by line, the, the instructions, but I'm going to drop it right down, spoon on to that last line. The main thing, that's it, all the rest, this is the main thing, is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principle. And there is the ending. That is the beginning. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. And thank you, Paula. Raquel. Star one to unmute. Raquel, I don't even think I'm saying now? Hello? Hello? Go ahead, dear. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, hello to everybody. And it's Janice who is leading. I'm sorry I couldn't come in uh, much earlier, but um, 
this I, I, I love this um, piece where they're trying to um, to help this person see what are the, what what are the basic concepts with which we were rescued and um, and it's not easy because I, I I remember times that that I almost had the person and then what happened is what the, what they say on page 45 uh, many times we talk to a new man and watch his hopes rise as we discuss the alcoholic problem and explain our fellowship but his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters especially when we mention God for we have reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored I see that many years ago I wrote next to it that this is very important but just about a year ago I went to this um, health farm where they were doing detoxing by drinking just uh, all kinds of juices uh, for for three uh, eating only vegetables and then one day of just juice and and helping people really detox from everything that is already an epidemic how we eat and there were a couple of people there. I brought with me the doctor's opinion translated. And um, I had a few people that I was talking with, you know, that from here they can go on to much better and higher. But, yes, this exactly happened to me. I, I'm watching this paragraph very carefully, um, how gently, actually gently, they're laying it on him, gently but firmly. The main thing is that we're willing to believe in a power greater than himself. I like what was said before um, and uh, about, you know, you, you, can, you cannot, I, I need to know how to quote it exactly, that this gentleness without some kind of truth is not useful and, and that, that um, very, very forceful approach without gentleness, without compassion, I have to call Kim and ask her for exactly how she said it was so good. So here it is both, you know, it is gently laid down but firmly that I didn't do it. I just didn't do it. There's a power greater than myself. It's not going to help me to grab my hair if I don't want to fall down on the bus. i got to grab something else outside of myself or just or just know that, that it's not me and not only from me. And I thank you all for being there. It is so good to be together. Thank you so much, and I pass. And thank you, Raquel. I'm going to just take a minute or so here. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, recovered. Uh, if you notice on page 92, it's all about, you know, telling your story, my story to the newcomer or whomever, because I want to interest them. You know, I'm, that's all I am can do is tell my story, my experience. And, you know, I have to d d use very simple language, you know, tell them how, what I was like, you know, how, how my body was, you know, so abnormal when it came to certain kinds of foods and eating behaviors. You know, I got these, you know, uncontrollable cravings, you know, when I picked up a certain food um, where, you know, I couldn't stop. And, um, you know, like my husband never had that. He's not, he's a normal eater. But I was so different, you know. Talk about the allergy of the body in that way. That's the way I do it, you know, to say, did you ever do this, you know. Did you ever, um, you know, um, you know, 
whatever it is. And then I go into the excuses that I used to have, which I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to say, I will say mental obsession, but I'm going to give them examples so that they can identify in with me. You know, oh, yeah, I had those excuses. You know, uh, eating uh, the hamburger without the bun, standing while I was eating, uh, sitting in front of the TV and having uh, my, my head, my mind in the freezer of that trigger food that I couldn't eat. That's the mental obsessions, you know, being stupid. You know, no one's looking. No one's looking at me so it doesn't count. These are all the personal story that I would tell them how I, what I was like, you know, so that they can say, gee, you know, I was like that. Now it's, a, you know, now it's building up their curiosity. Um, and that's what we, what we do. I mean, I know that when somebody told their story to me, I was curious. Well, you mean you did that too? And now you don't do it? What did you do? How did you, how did you get where you're going, you know? And uh, and then you know you tell them about the um, the you know they were curious now they're curious now you're going to be blunt and you're going to tell them exactly what happened how you had a spiritual awakening you don't have to even mention anything about God or anything else I mean if they're atheist then of course you know you can tell them just be willing to believe this is how what happened to me I can only tell you my experience. You know, and I don't do those things now. I don't eat, you know, a hamburger with a bun and say, well, I'll, you know, I'll eat the bun, but it won't count this time. Because why? Because my mind is restored to another form of thinking, and that's called sanity. Why? Because I, you know, I, I had a spiritual awakening. That's what I do here. So, um, and I don't, in, I don't indulge in those foods anymore. And I don't have uncontrolled cravings because I don't put them in my body. And then, you know, you start, you stop, you start, you stop. I don't have to do that anymore as long as, you know, um, I don't put it in my body. And that problem has been removed. Okay, would anyone else like to uh, comment on what was read? Leah. Yes, Leah, please go ahead. Thank you so much, Janice, for your service. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So obviously we're in Chapter 7, and the big book is giving us very clear, um, specific uh, technique to drawing people in. Um, I'm not going to bash them over the head. <laughs> I'm going to slowly, you know, put the worm on the hook, cast out the line, and slowly reel it in. So how do we do that? You know, we do that by talking about the conditions of body and mind first. We talk about the illness. Um, and that was certainly something that Bill Wilson had to learn. That was a hard lesson that, that Bill learned from his own early efforts at 12-step work. Um, you know, he used to grab men, you know, off of the bar stool by their shirt collar and scare off these prospects in the process because he was preaching um, about God and spiritual awakening um, and scaring them off. Um, it was Dr. Silkworth, of course, who told them, no, you know, let's let's crack those egos first. You know, first let's deflate them by giving them uh, the medical business. Tell them about the allergy of the body that drives them to continue to drink. Tell them about the obsession of the mind that forces them to pick up that first drink despite the necessity or the wish to stop. And that certainly was my 
history. You know, I could not stop once I had started, and I couldn't stop from starting again once I had stopped. Um, so that's, you know, th- those kind of uh, details, that experience that we lay out on the table allows that newcomer, that pr- protege, to identify in, um, and we take them through our story, you know, of 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 what we used to be like and that we no longer live that way. It's very dignified the way the big book is laying it out here. It's very, it's dignified. We're offering um, friendship and fellowship. <laughs> we, it takes maturity to do this because you're drawing people in. You know, I think of that saying, uh, you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. You know, you can't beat people over the head um, with it. You draw them close to you through this friendship, through this fellowship, and then you let him ask you that question, if he will, um, of how you got well. Then we lay out the spiritual business. Then we tell them about the solution. Once we have earned their um, their trust, you know, that we are here to help them, not to judge them, not to come from some uh, spiritual high top, not to, uh, you know, crusade or reform them, not to speak on some moral soapbox, you know, but that, <laughs> that you know, we lay out this kit of spiritual tools for their inspection and we show them how they worked for us and we offer them friendship and fellowship and we tell them that if they want to get well, we'll do what we can to help them. And that is the dignity of the spiritual process. The whole process is very dignified because willingness is a one-person job. Willingness is a one-person job. So I can't shove or force anything down somebody's throat. The program of recovery, you know, it says here the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. You know, pain forces us to come here, and if we leave, pain will drive us back, hopefully. And the program of recovery is all-inclusive, never exclusive, meaning that, you know, no matter what somebody, uh, you know, wishes in terms of their higher power, they are good to go. You know, it doesn't have to be my definition. It doesn't have to be anything sophisticated or anything, uh, you know, (laughs) far advanced and actualized. It's just the simple desire that they do not want to live that way anymore. And I certainly relate to that. You know, I certainly relate to that because against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct. I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't know to the depths to which this disease would take me. I just knew things were getting very, very uh, uh, painful, tremendous torture and suffering. And, you know, when I was finished, um, you know, someone had the, the maturity and the friendship and the fellowship and the knowledge and the, and the recovery to sit across from a table for me and share their story of how they were reborn. And I was ready to surrender. And I want to give that process and that dignity to somebody else. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Well, thank you, Leia. We're going to go on to the next paragraph, please. And we'll have Susie Kay. Please read the next paragraph. Good morning, Susie Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater in Maine. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. 
There is no use arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. So um, just a couple days ago, I had an experience with a neighbor who um, became aware that um, I um, am in this um, 12-step program and um, was seemed to, well, wanted to question me and said, uh, you know, he he said, you know, uh, it's it's a religion, right? And so I didn't have a chance to um, really to, to to step around the whole kind of you know theological or religious issues, um, um, or even you know I had to back off and kind of say it's a spiritual program. Um, and I could tell he had some, he, he'd heard kind of secondhand some stuff about the program. And even though I said spiritual, I, I really, I actually really have no idea what was going on through his, through his mind. But, um, you know, we just want to be really careful. People have very uh, deep-seated beliefs about religion. I certainly did coming in here. Um, I did not think... Um, there was a higher power uh, available to me. I, I didn't think in some ways that I was worthy or that I really, really, really needed a higher power the way I thought other people in the world did. Um, so um, best to, I think what the book is cautioning here is just best to um, be very careful about addressing um, the you know the spiritual principles of the program, and if we can use some kind of everyday language, and I'm, you know, once you've been in here a while, it's kind of hard to know what everyday language is. It's interesting. I um, was doing a, um, I'm taking a course, and someone who I have no awareness is is in any 12-step program was talking about her profession as having a spiritual component and she used the word higher power and I thought that was really cool and I immediately thought, oh, huh, I wonder if she's in a 12-step program, but you know, um, so it's tough sometimes to figure out what, what people out there um, in the real world um, how, what terms they use but it's probably worth finding out so that you can be um, judicious in your approach to newcomers and I pass. Well, thank you. Anyone would like to comment on what was read, please? This is Bella. Can I share? You can, Bella. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Don't raise such issues. It again reminds me what is all about this program. This program is not a kind of teacher and a student. It's not a, a therapist and a patient. It's not that I am better than others. I am not here to force nobody to believe the way I believe, and they should act exactly the way I act. Don't raise such issues. I am here to, to share my experience, 
strength and hope. Yes, I am here to to tell how I came to the solution, how I came to my recovery, what I am doing for my recovery, and to share my experience, to ex- to share my hope, my strength, and you know, if you want, you take it. If you don't, you don't have to. I am not here to force nobody to believe uh, the way I believe and uh, the same things that I believe. And at the same time, no, not at all. I am here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And and it's okay if you if you want to take it and you want to live the way I live and you want you you think that this way of belief. It's good for you too. It's okay, and if not, it's okay too. I am, I am here not more, not longer to, to force and to insist everybody to 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 be the way I am. We are all unique in our way, and either we are unique in our way, we are connected to God. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Press star Hi, it's one Lin- to unmute. Hi, Sorry. it's Linda D. in Connecticut. Oh, I'll wait. Sorry. No, go ahead, Linda D. Oh, well, go ahead. Okay, great. Sorry, I was coming up the stairs. I kind of lost it. Um, hmm. I'm very, very grateful to be recovered in Connecticut. I should say that. Grateful to you all, grateful to God. And um, I've made a lot of mistakes over the years. I've been in OA a long time. And I've made a lot of mistakes, all the ones that have been mentioned, the over-enthusiasm and stuff. And it was all well-meant, and I hope some of it helped. I think some of it did. I think the thing that has helped the most in helping others is to be quiet and calm, and that uh, that's a gift from God. To be quiet and calm and to realize something that I uh, kind of had to uncover in myself, which was that I thought it was my job to rescue because I knew these people were dying and it was a fatal disease and I was desperate and I knew their life was on the line. So I was in there like a SWAT team. Uh, very nice about it, but it was SWAT team stuff, and I overtalked it and all that stuff. And uh, time and experience, and of course God, time and experience, have taught me to be uh, present, to be honest from my heart, to keep it simple, and to realize that it's a team effort. I'm one of the members of the team. God is the team leader. And the person wants to be on the team or they don't, I can only plant a seed. Plant a seed with my honesty. See if they can identify with it. Don't over-talk it. Just let them feel unconditional love. They'll feel it, that I accept them, that I'm not pushing them, and that I'm not a cult member. I have heard people say that, oh, well, those 12-step programs are cults. You know, they'll come up with all kinds of things to discount what I'm saying or what you're saying. So just, I think, realizing from my perspective, I cannot 
engineer this no matter how desperate I feel for them, and I do. I don't want them to die. And I know it'll be long and painful. So I can just be myself, speak from my heart, give them space to talk. And by giving them space to talk and feel safe, they may reach out. And that's not compassion with, you know, that's not dishonest. It's not compassion with dishonesty. It's giving this person the opportunity to kind of wade into the water. The seed is planted, and they know I'm safe to come to. And that has worked for me. So thank you, and I pass. Okay, thank you, Linda D. Anyone else would like to comment on what was read? Rabia? Rabia, please go ahead. <laughs> Good morning, everybody, Janice. And um, I'm so grateful to be a recovered compulsive overeater this morning and loving everybody's share this morning. And I just keep coming back to my personal experience um, now. In I, I go to uh, three face-to-face OA meetings a week, and, and, and the rooms are just filled with the sick and suffering. And um, what looks like fat serenity, however, I know all the misery that's behind that. And, and so I, I share that. Um, I share that, as I've shared here, I have uh, three and a half decades in a way, and I'm, for the first time, understanding how to live in 10, 11, and 12, and for the first time, I have neutrality with food, and it's through listening to A Vision for You and studying this big book um, as a textbook for the first time, so... You know, I love what we said about, um, you know, loving kindness in the rooms and um, that loving each other till they love themselves because I'm also reading uh, Pass It On, which is Bill W.'s uh, biography and the beginning of AA, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's such a powerful read for me. And, and, um, you know, as most of us know that his first year, he and Lois took um, so many alcoholics into their homes um, with loving kindness, you know, and very few of them got sober and, and one even committed suicide. And, and, and here I'll read it to you. Bill referred to the suicide as an example of, quote, killing people with kindness. Well, there it is, you know, killing people with kindness, um, you know, I, I don't need to be brutally honest in the rooms, and I keep praying before I have my two-minute share, you know, how to speak so that I can be of loving service, um, and I, I tell the truth, you know, I, I tell the truth of, of the pain and misery of um, of not working these steps, and now the joy and lightness in my life of living in 10, 11, and, and 12, and um, I just ran out of words, so I'm going to pass. Thank you. Okay, I guess we're having a little technical difficulty, but uh, we'll um, see if anyone else would like to comment on what Lauren. was read. Lauren S. Lauren, Lauren S. 
is that Lauren? Yes. Okay, Jean, go ahead, Lauren. All right, Janice. Hi, everybody. Lauren S., as in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And from my experience, by using the big book in my life, for what I have found is one, I want to say we have meetings today that they did not have when this book was written. And it is, thank you, fellows, who carry the message to meetings where you might be the only person in the meeting that shares about the big book. It's July. Some meetings do a step study. I might be, I've often been the only member who have actually completed a seventh step in a meeting. I found from experience, I grow in my relationship to God because I'm forced to pray and meditate during those difficult times. And carrying the message of step two, willing to believe in a power. What was most effective for me carrying this message was simply saying, guys, you don't got to have faith or belief. You can have those things. This isn't about religion. This is about you just need something to put your, just just something that's not you. If you've done a thorough first step, you're going to see when you run the show on your best thinking, not even your your average thinking, but your best A-plus balls-to-the-wall thinking. You're trying your best. You've tried it all. It ends up in a 12-step meeting crying inside, nowhere else to go. And there has to be a power greater than you. There has to. If there's not a power greater than you, then you're doomed. And it, you don't have to call it, you don't have to put a word on it. It just has to be something that's not. Yeah, I believe we lost, we lost Lauren. All right. It looks like I was lost. You know what, fellas? I just want to, sh- I don't know what you guys heard, but what might be helpful is just to share with those people this power, it just can't be born from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and that's all. That's what step two was for me. It was a, it was, it was, it was a, yeah, it's wonderful. Thanks, I'll pass. Well, thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Um, we will now close with a reading from the big book um, on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Lauren, would you like to read that, please, for us? Lauren S. Okay, how about uh, Rick? Are you still here, Rick? Still want to unmute? Yes, I'm here. Good. 164, please. A book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation 
what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you can find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.